The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. And welcome, everyone. This is Cheryl Esposito. Welcome to Leading Conversations this morning. Today we have a special guest, Melanie Dewberry-Jones. Melanie calls herself the soul coach, and she really works with people to get to their essence. She's an inspirational speaker. She's an author of a book called What Was God Thinking? An Owner's Manual for Living from the Soul. Melanie, welcome to Leading Conversations. Thank you, Cheryl. Happy to be here. It's so nice to hear your voice. Actually, Melanie and I were um, able to see each other just yesterday at a special thought leader gathering, and it's always nice to be in your presence, Ms. Dewberry-Jones. As yours as well, Ms. Cheryl. <laughs> you know? No, it's, it's, a, it's a delight to know you. It really is. Thank you. Well, thank you. Well, I'm very excited we can do this today because um, I have for a couple of years now been getting to know more about you and your work, and I find it fascinating because you are really wanting to stretch people's perception of what soul really is. And the kind of coaching you do is you work with leaders and organizations, you work with individuals who are moving through transition, you, um, in your book, What Was God Thinking, an owner's manual for living from the soul, you really talk about some of the challenges that people go through no matter where they are in the world, and, um, you know, how they um, move through those challenges, and you have some very interesting perspectives. So, tell us a little bit first, first tell us where you are, Where, where are you today? Physically located, I'm yeah. in Half Moon Bay, California, uh, which is on the coast of San Francisco, and it's beautiful today. Oh, yeah. Really beautiful. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. yeah, Half Moon Bay is, is one of those special places when uh, when the sun shines, it is amazing. <laughs> when the sun shines. <laughs> when the sun shines. Just that nice little misty fog that rolls right. in off the ocean. Um, and and so living in a place like that, I can imagine, is inspirational for you. It is. I, it was, uh, you know, we lived someplace else before, and I just woke up one day and said, you know, I have to be surrounded by beauty. Mm. My husband said, okay, how about Half Moon Bay? And I'm, I'm like, that does it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah. So, Melanie, let's start um, kind of how did you get into the coaching field? I mean, you know, you've been, you've been, you're an experienced coach. It's not like you're new to this field. But how did you first find your way to it? You know, it was very backdoor, actually. And and I have to say most of my life that's been that way. Um, I was actually in the nonprofit field for a very long time. I worked in... um, Youth development worked for Girls Incorporated, and uh, the particular Girls Incorporated I worked for had a very, very cutting edge programs. 
and we were really well-known nationally. And someone came in to talk to me about offering programs to our young women. And I was very cynical because I get a lot of that. A lot of people who want to do well but don't understand really what it takes to really run a program. It's it's great to give one's time, but um, it, co- it you, there's money behind it. You know, course, you've got to yeah. just like in everyday business, nonprofits have to create money for the program. So I was very cynical, mm. and I was like, Oh God, here we go. Let me, you know, this is really bad as a spiritual coach, but I was saying, <laughs> oh, Here we go, another do-gooder. Let's hear him. And she said, uh, "Well, I want to do this thing called coaching." Now, this is this is about mm, thirteen years ago, and uh, coaching wasn't really well known back then. And I said, "Well, what's that?" And she said, "Well, I can't really describe it. Why don't I do it to you?" And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> and oh. I, you know, I'm the queen of resistance. Can you believe it? I'm, as a, here I am, a coach telling your audience this. I'm a queen uh-huh. of resistance. And so I sat there, and after 10 minutes, I said, I don't know what that is, but I want it. Where'd you get that? You know, like it was a pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she said, well, I went to this school. And so I immediately convinced my boss that I needed these skills, that it would be better for every, you know, that I could um, I could enhance the relationships at work by having coaching skills. Mm-hmm. And I um, asked for them to pay for me. And I um, went to coaching classes, and that's how I got in. Wow. Great. And so so prior to that, the work you were doing in nonprofit was running programs? Developing, not running programs, but developing. I was director of programs, so I created programs and worked a lot with funders to get funding for the programs. And so working with individuals, working with people, kind of knowing um, how to manage relationships was also part of what you did. So it wasn't like you were new to some of this. No, it, it wasn't. I, I'd been a nonprofit for a long time, and a lot that I had seen in nonprofit, I wanted to, the most. Let me say, let me put it this way: what I really wanted to shift in nonprofit was the poverty mentality mm-hmm. that we, I felt, were um, by osmosis giving um, reinforcing to our clients who would tend to be low income. Mm-hmm. And I um, so uh, there were financial in- issues, but there was also a poverty mentality and. It's very similar in the business world and with um, what I see out in, you know, out of the context of nonprofits, very similar, just looks different. So um, I, I wanted to sh- stretch how we thought about mm-hmm. how we related to low income and how low income relate to themselves to the other world, to, to the other parts of the world. Um, and instead of reinforcing um, that the low income status is just where they were and that here are programs to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, which was not an easy job to convince <laughs> people that that was a good thing to do. Well, you know, that's interesting because um, um, Peter Block said something very similar to this when I interviewed him um, about the poverty mentality and, and poor, you know, people being poor. He says, why do people think they're poor? You know, what are you poor in? And he says, you know, people are poor because we've created all these structures that call people poor. And um, and so you're saying the same thing. You're saying, you know, it's a some of it's a mindset, and we get stuck in our our mindset. Our mindset becomes our structure for being. It does. And, and then we create physical structures because in the nonprofit world, what I had seen was that the nonprofits themselves and the people who fund them are very attached to... Um, 
to to um, doing uh, to supporting mm-hmm. the low incomeness of it all, right. and that it makes it sexy for the funders to say, "Look at what we're doing with our money," mm-hmm. and it makes it um, a do-gooding thing for people in the nonprofit. Says, "Look what we're doing for these people," but what we're not doing is lifting them out of a mindset that this is the way it is or has to be. Mm-hmm. And so I was uh, really pretty committed to changing how we saw how clients saw themselves and how we saw clients. So one of the things I did with people, I know we're not going here completely in this uh, this hour together, but one of the things I did with other people is we created a, um, a youth bank, and so we taught youth literacy to kids mm. in the Mission District, mm. and we wanted to teach them about what money is and what the energy of money is and your relationship to money, um, and uh taught them how to set up bank accounts and what the purpose of saving was and what the limitations of, you know, the whole thing. And, and what we ended up doing is actually the kids ran the bank. They gave loans to each other. Oh, so, great. We, you know, we got money. Kids, Each kid was given money. You'd think they'd take the money out and go spend it. No. They actually saved the money, and then they were given loans, like I want a bicycle, and then the kids had to go collect the money from the other kids. But what also happened is parents started coming and going, what are you teaching my kids? I want to understand this. Oh, wow. I want to know about this money thing, about saving, about loans. How do, how do I do that? Mm-hmm. And so we started educating the kids, and the kids would educate the parents. And so the financial literacy uh, or the financial um, illiteracy was being broken within the families. Right. So that was really my commitment, and it's no different in the coaching, although I'm not talking about finances anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about emotional literacy and spiritual literacy now. Mm-hmm. So tell us how you define spiritual literacy. So um, I, I define it, uh, define it as a, a level of maturity. And um, what spiritual maturity and literacy means for me is that we are not just getting older as we grow. We're actually maturing. Um, we are um, expanding ourselves. We're moving out of our our structures that keep us what we think is emotionally safe, and we're taking the biggest risk we can ever take as human beings and that we're going inside ourselves so that we can connect better on the outside. Hmm. So, so you see this happening more? I see a longing for it, and I do see it happening more. I think, um, I don't know if it's, you know, <laughs> if there's something divine going on or if um, it's just... Um, timing, but really at 9-11, at the point of 9-11, you know, there is the truth that in great suffering, uh, we start to search. And at the point of 9-11, people were really knocking down my door a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, they really wanted to have more meaning and purpose, um, and not just in what they did, but in who they were. Mm-hmm. So I do see that people are wanting a, lo- a longing. There's a struggle for finding that longing, because we're a bit addicted to immediate gratification, myself included. So we, um, we want things in five principles to three minutes of, right, yeah. you know, we, we're a little bit addicted to it being a weekend retreat process versus a life process. But um, we, I, I do see people want more of it. Mm-hmm. And so when, you know, you've been doing this for a while and you help, I know you mentor coaches, Yes, and um, in the mentoring of coaches, there must be some process where you help them to clarify kind of what 
stream of coaching they're going to move toward. Um, you know, what what are some of the things you do to help them figure that out? Uh, when you when you say stream of coaching, do you mean niche? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, to be honest, Cheryl, I don't do a lot around niche coaching. Where I do mentor coaches, because usually what they're coming to me initially for is coaching skill. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm helping them with their skill. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point, by the time they've done all the coursework and they've gone through, you know, kind of a certification program, at this point, what I'm clear about is the skill is in them because coaching skills pretty basic, even though you have to be trained to do it well, they're pretty basic. It's about listening. It's about hearing intuitively what's not being said, not buying into everything that comes out of the mouth of the client. And it's about um, asking questions that go beyond, open-ended questions that go beyond um, yes, no, Mm -hmm. and uh, having people be expansive and where they look. So by this time, they have those skills. And where I'm looking is what is getting in the way around your own emotional and spiritual literacy or maturity that is the obstacle for the skill not showing up. Mm. So my work is really about having them go um, deeper within themselves to um, take off or to release what is in the way. Mm. And most of the time, those are structures uh, that they're putting up as, I don't know, strategies, guideposts, um, facades, and have those fall away so that the natural skill that lives within each of us, Mm -hmm. the intuition, the connection, the hearing, can come forward. Well, I know that the grounding that you have for this work um, goes far beyond um, the coaching classes that you took. And when we come back from this break, I want to talk a little bit about your connection to the Native American. We'll be right back. From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. More and more business people recognize the importance of spirituality in their work. How do busy professionals discover what rings true for them? Embracing the journey with Karen Humphrey Salad explores what it means to be spiritually fulfilled in business and how to integrate spiritual direction into a career. Expert guests, authors, and inspiring speakers join Karen every week to discuss such issues as honesty, compassion, generosity, ethics, and integrity in the workplace. Take a positive step forward to greater life balance. Tune into Embracing the the journey with Karen Humphrey Salad, broadcasting every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back to Leading Conversations. We're speaking with Melanie Dewberry-Jones this morning, author of What Was God Thinking? 
So, Melanie, um, we talked a little bit about your work as a coach, and what I know is that your grounding for this work um, goes beyond the the typical coach training that one may experience, and you have a connection to the Native American heritage and cosmology. Tell us about that and you in that. Thank you for asking. Um, so I, uh, just to give you some background, I am Choctaw, I'm African-American and Choctaw, mm-hmm. and my people come from Kansas and um, from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have been trained and brought up in the Lakota tradition. I actually know very little about the Choctaw heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been trained in the Lakota um, Red Road, as it's called, which is Red Road just means basically our, the spiritual path. Mm-hmm. So... Um, what I can share, and feel free to jump in and, and redirect mm-hmm, me, Cheryl, mm-hmm. but is that in my work and that comes from the Native American cosmology is that my grounding is the connection to the universe, or as some might call it, um, God or the creator. It's all the same to me. It is about how, uh, here's how my medicine man put it, Joe chasing his horse many years ago when we were preparing for a ceremony very early in the morning, he just looks at us and simply said, everything you do now is a prayer into the world. What will you pray today? Mm-hmm. That's lovely. It is, isn't it? I mean, I don't even think he was trying to be profound. <laughs> so, wow, that's that, beautiful. It is beautiful. That, and so that's my orientation. It's like, what's the prayer I will be today? And sometimes I'm not as prayerful as I'd like to be. And, and that doesn't mean that I'm always down on my knees praying. What that means is that who I am is what I do. And what I do is a prayer that will be made manifest. My thoughts will be manifested. Mm-hmm. That is our belief. What we think is what we will end up doing and being and saying. And that is a prayer that will touch many people. It, am I being intentional about my prayer? Mm-hmm. And so um, when I get lost upon, uh, in my path in my daily life, I bring myself back to the Native American cosmology. And one of the things my uncle says, Uncle Pablo, he says, when you get lost, just look up. Just look up into the sky. If it's in the day, look up into the sky and just connect. If it's at night, speak to the star nation. The -hmm. stars will tell you what to do and where to go. And this is not just symbology or metaphorical, you know, um, speaking. This is actually how I communicate. This is how I am oriented. This is how I'm grounded. So I I see myself um, based on the teachings and the ceremonies and the way of life is literally a vessel. And my ego loves to get into the car and drive and and to say that this is me and I'm brilliant. Um, Not that I am, but just likes to say that I am. Oh, no, we know you are. (laughs) (laughs) I like to say that. But but the truth is, really, I'm just the garden hose. And then the creator, the universe, the divine, the star nations, the plants, the trees are singing a universal song through that hose that will be expressed and manifested by how I show up each day. Mm-hmm. And so uh, our orientation is to hear that universal song that is constantly being pr- played through us, you know, through the dirt to the worms, to the worms to the trees, to the trees to the birds, to the birds to the clouds, the clouds to the stars, and then the job sharing of the moon and the sun are uh, job sharing this uh, as conductors of this great symphony, of this great song called the universal song. And our job is to hear the song and then to express it. That is, that is my job. Mm-hmm. I do my best. 
That is beautiful. You know, sometimes I think about how complex we've made life, we as human beings, how complex we've made life and we've made the world. And when I hear you speak, it brings it down to such simplicity. And yet what I know is that um, most of us would say, well, Melanie, yeah, but that's hard to do. Yeah, you know, I I hear that from people. Thank you for saying that. And I think you're right. We make it complex. We make it hard. What is hard mm-hmm. is that we're we are attached to um being protected. Mm-hmm. But the only real, real protection in this world is love. Everything else creates war. It creates a war within ourselves. It creates conflict with each other. Um, so all the things, all the, all the ways we show up that we think support us in moving forward and just getting through the day or making us happy really are the obstacles from the very thing that we want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what is, what is hard for us as individuals, what's hard for me, what's hard for my clients, is to let go and to be vulnerable. Because we think of vulnerability as being prey, you know, that we're roadkill or something. Right. And really, truly, vulnerability is just, is that breastplate just being allowed to open up and letting people in and letting people see you and letting people support you and letting people love you and letting people see you with your warts and knowing that you're still held in beauty. Mm-hmm. Um because really, all we're here on this earth to do is learn how to be in relationship. Mm-hmm. We're in relationship to everything and everyone in every moment, mm-hmm. whether we like it or not. Mm-hmm. And um, anything that keeps us separate from each other makes life hard. So we're conditioned as a result, because we're conditioned to hard, we're conditioned to external um, stimuli to make us feel happy when the essence of our joy is right here inside of us. And we just have to remove the the obstacles so, so that we can get underneath the rubble and be connected to that joy. And the way I do that is through the stars, through the trees, through other people. Hmm. So in your book, What Was God Thinking?, the title I think is very interesting because most, um, I think the general population would see this title and think about the... Um, Judeo-Christian God that has, you know, been, that is the center of um, many, well, at least the U- most U.S. thinking religions. Um, and I don't, that's not what you're talking about. I'm not. Um, you know, uh, it, it was very purposeful for me to use the G word. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually got talked, you know, and someone said, no, really don't use the G word. <laughs> And I said, no, actually, I want to call it what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, you can call it Sam for all I care, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but the energy of God, or in the Native tradition, we, we call it the creator, mm-hmm. is who we are when we are manifesting our prayers. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, I know that people say it's not something out there, and it, so it's, it sounds very trite for me to repeat that. But the God of us is the joy of us. Mm-hmm. And... I, I I wanted to be purposeful in using that word, mm-hmm. um, 
because it's pure in essence. I know we layer stuff onto it. We layer religion onto it. We, we, we layer rules onto it. We layer shame onto it, disdain onto it, whatever. But the word itself, whether you say divine or God or goddess or, or creator, the word is pure beauty and love and truth. And that beauty, love, and truth is you, is me. So the question, what was God thinking, is really, what was I thinking? What are you thinking? <laughs> so, so it's like, what is, what are you thinking? Not from like a shameful place. Right. But it's, um, are you hearing the voice of God being sung through you? Are, can you hear it? Or are you distracting yourself with pretense, with busyness, mm-hmm. with um, expectations of what love should look like and how people should obey those expectations? Are you wrapped up in the victim, victimology of your life? Or can you hear the song of love of God being sung through you right now? Mm-hmm. And all around you, by the way, right now. And will you bend to that song? Will you dance with it? Will you let it flow through you? Will you surrender? Or will you, will you hide behind the structures you've put up in front of yourself mm. that keep us, by the way, in a state of arrested development? We cannot be spiritually mature without accessing our, our central self, our joy, our godness, our goodness, our creator, our divine. Mm. Well, you know, I... I hear you, and I think that people often see joy as something that is created because of external events. So, you know, um, I get a new job, and I am ecstatic. Um, I um, have a birthday party, and life is good. You know, I make a new friend, and, you know, that's wonderful. And... You know, if in the absence of that type of experience, uh, I think a lot of people do ask the question, well, then who am I without that? Right. If you're saying that the joy is in you without any of that. Without any of that. I, I make a little discernment. I, I think that people, that what you're talking about is actually happiness. I don't know that that's true, but that's how I define it, that we're, the external stimuli makes us happy. Mm. Um, you know, like I got the new job, I got the new shoes, or sure. you know, I broke up with the boyfriend. Um, but that joy is imminent because it has already arrived. But we have to hear it, feel it, experience it, and also being willing to embrace it when it, um, as we hear it. So my sense, and, and again, I'm sure you've, you've had many conversations with many thought leaders who have probably said what I'm going to say, is that we have to hear it. And let me, you know, here's the thing. The God self, the soul, the joy will not compete with your ego. It is not going to boom louder. It's not going to try to, um, you know, knock on your head. Uh, it will not compete with your, the noise of your ego. It is quietly sitting, waiting for you to come to the party. Oh, period. That's interesting. So this is why we hear many people say, we must be still, we must be mm. quiet. Um, 
it's good to meditate, to walk out in nature, to mm-hmm. hear oneself. Mm-hmm. It's because the party is happening, but you just can't you can't hear the balloons popping and the corks popping out because we have all this white noise that's going on, and the soul's not going to compete with the ego for your attention. Huh. So what ends up happening is we create a level of suffering for some of us, exquisite suffering that then forces us to be quiet. Perhaps we get sick. Perhaps we just get knocked on our knees. We lose the love of our life. Uh, we lose the job. We no longer have the obstacles that, that daunted us so much, That which is what happened to me. I lost my job. I lost, this is, you know, 15 years ago, I lost my job. I lost my native circle at the time. Mm-hmm. I was ostracized from my native community and my ceremonies. Um, I lost my boyfriend, and I was in a 500-square-foot room all by myself mm-hmm. for many months. So we, unfortunately, we, we are, um, I wouldn't say we're designed, but we've created a design, mm-hmm. uh, or at least a thought process that says, I have to get bad enough in order for me to pay attention. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's unfortunate. <laughs> because it seems to be a pretty powerful process. Yes. <laughs> you know? it, is, um, it is. Yeah, yeah. But the party is happening, but it's not going to compete. It it does require you to come inside. Um, I love how you say that, you know, I, that the it's not going to compete with your ego. And so we're going to talk more about how we get to the party, the real party, when we come back right after this break. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The economy and financial markets continue to expand in both their size and complexity, but being able to anticipate changes in the markets for housing, jobs, and financial assets remains a crucial ingredient to our financial well-being. On the economy and the markets, with economist, investment strategist, portfolio manager, and host, Doug Cliggett, utilizes his 25 years of experience with that of his highly informed guests to provide clear, reasoned explanations of current events. To navigate the markets that influence our lives every day of the week, tune into The Economy and the Market with Doug Cliggett, broadcasting each Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The economy and the markets. Clear thoughts in a complex world. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business.
We appreciate you joining our Leading Conversations today. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. We're speaking with Melanie Dewberry-Jones. Melanie, before we went to break, um, we were talking about joy and how it is already in us and that our joy is not going to compete with our ego to you know, get us to hear it, feel it, be it, and that we have to actually somehow connect into that joy ourselves. So talk a little bit about how we get there. You know, I, always, I used to always tell my clients, 90% of our life is undoing the first 10% of our life. <laughs> so, and what I mean by that is so much of what happens um, in our day-to-day life is based on our historical context. We make choices, decisions, um, how to interact, whether we're going to interact, whether we like something, whether we like a job, a person, based on our history mm. and based on our childhood. And so what that means is that those things that happen to you in your younger years are making the choices for you right now. Mm. And I'm 48, and I don't want my 9-year-old to make my choices on my business relationships, my, you know, my partner's you know, it can make choices on what flavor ice cream I get. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds kind of silly, but it's, it's true. When you think about what triggers you, um, how you make decisions, a lot of it is based on um, historical data. Sure. So you, we've heard a lot of, I'm sure many of your listeners have heard a lot of the conversations about being present. You know, how do we become present in the moment? Mm-hmm. So the decisions that we're making are being made in the moment. So where I talk to people, because people come to me and they say, you know, I want to change, I want to have more meaning in my life, I want to do, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a CEO, but I I want to bring more of me into the world. Mm -hmm. So I talk to them about where they are first, obviously, and the choices they're making and have them look at how, um, where those choices are being made from. And what I try to help people discern is the difference between change, which is what we typically focus on. I want to change something. Mm-hmm. And transformation and evolution. Hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about those. Is that all right? Yeah, please do. Okay. Change is where, you know, and, and change is great, by the way. There's nothing wrong with change. Uh, except for that, the way we do it, in North America at least, is that it's very limiting. We believe if we change a behavior, it's all good. It's all good. You know, I'm going to stop drinking. I mean, all the men and women out there who are wanting to lose weight, they're going to change their diet. You know, now we say that diet, you know, that it's a lifestyle change. But we want to change our diet. We're going to change our attitude. We're going to change jobs. We're going to change partners. We're going to change clothes. But, but the problem with change is that it requires human will. And human will is great if you're running a marathon. Mm. It's great on a very short-term basis. But for something to be sustainable over your lifetime, human will is just not enough. Because we, if it was enough, then we wouldn't try to lose those 15 pounds again. We wouldn't try to get the right wife this time. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you hear people say, I've tried that before. That doesn't work. I've tried it. I'm like, well, it's because you've tried it from the change modality, which asks you to still engage from your ego, that to use human will as your form, to focus on outcomes, and really, the biggest part of change is that you're still operating as the same person, even if the behaviors have changed. Mm-hmm. The person itself, you the person, have not changed, just the external 
behaviors. So the, that's the limiting factor of change is that it's still an external reality. And the ego is still the driver of that external reality. And at some level, you're still looking, you're still looking for happiness based on external conditions. Does that make sense to you? Perfect sense. Okay, good. Yeah, so, like a lot of change programs that uh, we've seen over the years, huh? Yes. Yeah, we just try to change the policy, mm-hmm. but the foundation doesn't change. And right. if the foundation doesn't change, then the house is just, you know, the house on top. It's just got a new paint job. Sure. It's pretty. Sure. Yeah. It's pretty, but it's the same dang house. Yeah. And, and that paint's going to get old. <laughs> and the paint's going to get old. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You can hang all the nice little pictures on it. Um, You can dress it up, but it's still the same person. So change as we behave in it isn't enough. What can happen for some people is that they'll change enough that they'll go and they'll keep shedding, keep shedding, and then they'll transform. But for most people, it's not that easy. For like I said a few minutes ago, what transformation usually occurs because we are suffering, and then we're willing to let go of. Our, our, our structures, which include our thought processes, how we process information. I mean, the structures are very complex. There's many of them. But usually something painful has to happen. It doesn't have to be. We can simply make a decision. Everything's a decision anyway, whether we consciously are aware of that anyway. Sure. Yeah. Uh, everything is a decision. Love is a decision. Uh, so transformation is the place where we use something other than human will to move us forward. Well, what is that? Well, for me, as, as an Indian, as a Native American, it's, it's the relationship to God, the Creator, the universe, the trees, the stars. It's when we say, yeah, I'm a conduit. I've got a brain. I'm going to use it. Mm. I have a mind, but I'm going to allow now the soul of me to be influenced, to actually for... for the universe to take dominion within my soul, and this is all esoteric, but I'm going to be speaking in specifics mm-hmm. in just a minute, mm-hmm. to take dominion and to let, uh, to speak in more specifics, maybe let the right brain of myself lead and the left brain, the mind, to manifest and to follow what the vision of the heart, the vision of the soul, the intuition sees as next for me. And so what that requires is a lot of shedding mm-hmm. of physical structures, so for some people, those physical structures are um, guarding ourselves, how we speak to people. Like, here, here's how it shows up in the business world, being professional. Mm-hmm. Like, professional is great, but professional, it, it, the word professional in of itself is fine because we want to have integrity in the workplace. We want to have integrity everywhere. We should be, our success is measured by our integrity, actually, in, human, in the world. But professionalism has a way of being very staid, very um, without life, without authenticity, without transparency. And in transformation, we let ourselves be seen. That is what authenticity is. It is allowing people to see who we are. There's no more pretense. We're not trying to act like we have it all together. We are together. We're transparent. We're letting go of the things that separate us. Uh, what, what are the obstacles you see out in the world with your clients that get, or not obstacles, but the structures? Well, you know, I find it fascinating that um, many times in organizations, people get into this headset of, I can't do this because they won't let me, because they, the organization, um, you know, 
it's not safe to yeah. speak out. Um, people are, well, these days, you know, some people are feeling a little um, skittish about taking risks in organizations with so many organizations laying people off. And, and you know, and, and nobody's safe. It's not like you can say, you know, well, I'm a CEO, I'm in charge, so I've got, you know, right. I'm safe. You know, if anything, I think the CEOs these days are uh, at the most risk. Um, and so it doesn't matter where you are in the organization. Um, you're, you're facing a lot of these, I guess, you know, they are the self-limiting beliefs, right? Right. I mean, the truth is we don't really even know what safety is. Mm. Uh, you know, I hear clients say that, too. You know, it's not safe. And I'm like, well, you know, how do you know? Mm-hmm. First of all, I really believe that you as an individual bring safety by how you show up. Mm-hmm. You bring safety by, by being the prayer into the world, by being authentic. Does the workplace appreciate that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's, to me, that's irrelevant. Now, I say that knowing that people have families to feed and houses to pay for. Um, and look at where we are, everybody. This is an exciting time. The financial and business community is crumbling because it was built on inauthenticity, hmm. on str- and telling people don't bring yourself to work. Hmm. Yeah, yes, they made bad loan decisions and they made bad financial decisions, but those decisions were made from the from the place of being in the change model, of being driven by ego, of being um, set up by structures. So when I say structures, I want to give people a sense of what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I want to give them an image. Uh, I know I'm digressing here for just a second, but, but my point is that safety is created by how people and businesses show up not by how not you don't go into a business and it, and look to see if it's safe or, or go into a relationship to say is it safe for me you create the safety because you don't have the structures anymore to hide behind that you have yourself your own god self your own sense of soul so when i speak of structures i want to give people a, a mental image here go back to when you were let's say 6 years old and if you didn't this didn't happen to you imagine that it did <laughs> and you're learning to ride a bicycle Mm-hmm. And maybe your, your, you know, your dad is teaching how to ride a bicycle. And most kids had training wheels. Training wheels are structure. They're a structure to give you safety. They kind of keep you balanced until you can kind of get the logistics, the mechanics of riding a bike. Mm-hmm. When you get the mechanics of riding a bike, you take off the wheels. But in order to really ride a bike, you have to be present. You can't be daydreaming. And, be, and keep balance and not fall over. You have to be present in your body, in yourself. Your body has to be connected to that bike. It's not just the mechanics of pushing the wheels and turning the gears. You have to be present and, and really, if I can say, be one with the bike. Um, but for what happens for many of us is we keep those training wheels on. We're 16, we're 30, we're, we're 50. We're doing the same behaviors we did when we were six years old, and we're getting pretty much the same results in relationships, whether the relationship be at your job or with other people. We might be having financial success, but we're still suffering because we've kept those training wheels on and the same behaviors, the same interactions that create those same limiting beliefs you were speaking to. Mm-hmm. And when we move into transformation, let me back up. What happens is the suffering happens is because we've outgrown those, those structures, but we don't take them off. It's like wearing a vice. And it starts to pinch us. 
and we don't take those structures off, and we want a different result, but we're not willing to be or do something different. Mm. Then transformation starts to happen, and we take the structures off, and it's incredibly scary. I always just tell my clients, wear pampers. Just wear pampers during the stage. <laughs> you know, just put them on, because it's scary. Because here you are at 30, learning what a six-year-old, lo- well, most, some six-year-old learned was to take the wheels off, take the training wheels off, and now know that you can stand, you can be balanced on your own mm-hmm. without the protections, mm-hmm. the false sense of protection. Mm-hmm. So we lay the ego down, we lay the limiting beliefs down, and we try to see how we maintain balance. And the best way to maintain balance is just to be who you are. Mm-hmm. How do we know who we are? We listen to the party. We go to the party. We connect to the, our central self. When I work with clients, they they know that one of my prerequisites, and I don't care what it looks like for them, I said, but get yourself a spiritual practice, whatever that is for you. And you might have to try on a few things. But get to something connected. That, well, I'm sorry, get connected to something that will have you connected to your highest, most greatest self. Mm. Because every single day is a practice a practice of being you and a practice of being human and a practice of being humane with each other. So ground yourself in a spiritual practice, whatever that is. I don't have a way to do that. I don't want to turn other people into Indians. Right, right. It can be whatever works for them. Right. But every day, we, it's in our nature to forget who we are at our core. So every day we have to wake up and remind ourselves with that practice mm-hmm. and that that practice will transform who we are what we say, what we do. Well, in the the next phase, or not phase, but the, but the next level of um, making things different, you call evolution. And when we come back from this break, I would like you to explain to us just what that is. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman, right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. The Bottom Line in Business, Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back to Leading Conversations. We're speaking with Melanie Dewberry-Jones, author of What Was God Thinking? An Owner's Manual for Living from the Soul. 
So, Melanie, um, you have a next level of um, making things different. I only want to call it change. You see, you've already changed the way I talk. <laughs> um, of, of making things different. You call it, so you say there's change, and, and that requires, you know, one level of, of involvement. Then there's transformation, and there's a higher level, which you call evolve or evolution. Talk to us about that. So... The transformational model, I'm just going to go back for a second, is kind of the in-between stage. It's when you're bouncing back and forth between a spiritual practice and not doing it. It's the left brain and the right brain are at a bit of tug of war. You know, I want to use my logic and my, and my, um, and my mind and I want to use my, my structures. And then there's the right brain where the heart gets to have a, a bigger play in the conversation. The intuition gets to have um, more say. Um, and your vision, your visionary capacity, your innovation, your creativity get to um, be displayed more. But there's still a bit of a, a back and forth. Mm. And, um, and then there comes the evolution. It's, it's this point where, um, so it's this point where you shed enough, uh, not enough, but you shed skins. It's like you're a snake, and snakes, in order to grow, must shed their skin. But more importantly, in order for a snake to shed their skin and to grow, they must find a sharp object to scrape up against, to, to pierce that, hmm. that dead skin. Hmm. So evolution are these sharp edges, are the place of real... Um, innovation in our own soul, where we find some edge um, in our life that um, is just taut enough, just, just straight enough, just sharp enough that we scrape up against and we let the old self die over and over and over again. It's actually a point of excitement. So evolution is when we, are, we no longer are just making great profound statements like we are one, and, uh, you know, love is um, anything else but love is protection. Uh, I mean, if they love is the only protection, everything else is war. We're not just making those statements. We're actually experiencing that. Hmm. This isn't, you know, I'm not talking about enlightenment. I don't know anything about enlightenment. You know, this is actually just a point of where we are leading more often than not from a state of love. And we're intentional. Evolution, like transformation, and like change, are intentional. They don't just happen. They are every moment we are consciously aware of our impact, and we're wanting to have the most loving impact. Mm. And here's the thing I just want to say for your listeners, um, uh, because I don't think it gets said enough. We don't lose who we are. You can still be the CEO. You could still hire and let go people, acquire people, acquire organizations. You could still make those tough decisions. You could still, you know, evolution and transformation doesn't necessarily mean we're all wearing flowers in our hair and singing Kumbaya, unless you're into that, which is great. Um, you can still transact, but it comes from a pure place. There's less damage. There's more awareness of your impact in the world. And your language starts to shift. Here's the thing I believe. Your language, your thoughts, your behavior. You change any one of those, you change all of those. Hmm. I work with clients on their language because it's a great, it's an easy, and access, uh, easy access point for most people. And here's an interesting thing. I have this, uh, these bodies of words. They're not my words. Um, they're called sacred words, at least that's what I call them. And they're not at all from the Native American cosmology, and, and they are. 
So um, the words actually come from most religious institutions. You've heard them in churches and temples and synagogues. And I've um, called a few of those words together because when I actually did blind, double-blind testing on them, the words had a high resonance value. High, and resonance uh, just means it aligned with you, which, by, by the way, is how people in evolution track their impact in the world and their decision-making. They're, no they're no longer using historical context of, I like this, I, I don't like this. They're using resonance to make, to make a decision on whether they're going to do something or be a part of someone's life. Well, can you tell us what some of those words are? Absolutely. So resonance is one of them. Mm. Um, so here are the base, uh, basic words. Peace, divine, sacred, holy, communion, generative, resonance, reverence, evolution, glorious. One of my favorite words is glorious. Devotion. And I ask people sometimes to swap out certain words for words they're currently using. For example, people use the word calm a lot. You know, I want to feel calm or I am calm. And I just ask them to shift out the word peace. Take in the word peace for calm. And I do that for two reasons. One, if you can name it, then you can have it. We all want more peace in the world. And maybe if we use the word more peace, we'll actually be exuding more peace. What if actually what you have right now is instead of calmness, which is nothing, you know, nothing wrong with calmness, but what if it's actually peace? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I ask people to swap out the word, um, uh, which is not part of these sacred words, but another word is out of appropriate, I ask for um, integrity Mm -hmm. or congruence. Mm -hmm. Is something in congruence rather than um, is it appropriate? Uh, I ask people to use the word glorious instead of happy or beautiful. It's a beautiful day. Just try on the word glorious. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the deal. For, for these words to have significance in our lives, we have to be in the place of transformation or evolution because in the place of change, we're still, in the, we're still voting. Oh, I don't like those words. Those remind me of church. I hated church. I hated that. Oh, I love those words. I love religion. I love my church. So we're using words out of a context of history. Right. So, and if, you're, and if you're doing that, then you're actually not being present with the energy of the language. Right. You're just using it because you like it, and it feels good. And that's good. I mean, that's fine. But it's, it's, it's more than it just, I like it. Resonance is there is an alignment in my soul, in my body, and it moves me. The words have an energy to which I surrender myself, and that energy moves me into a different place. It moves me into a place of peace generativity, sacredness, divine, whatever the word is, gloriousness. So we have to get out of the context of history, of choosing, into the resonance of being, a very transformative and evolutionary state of of being. Um, So those are some of the words. And so I ask people just to choose one word. Right. One of my favorites is communion. Oh. And so just quickly tell us what communion is. Communion is, um, I think of it, or commu- I think of it as uh, being in communion, being in relationship. Mm-hmm. So I don't go to meetings anymore. I go to be in communion. Yeah. And if I can go in communion, in the space of communion, what I say and what I'll do will be completely different if I'm preparing for a meeting. That's wonderful. You know, Melanie, there are 
there are so many more things we could be talking about today, but our time has come to an end. Oh, darn. I know. It went by really fast. And um, But I, I really appreciate what you've said about all, all of what you said, but, but what you've said there in the last few minutes about language and languaging. And, you know, if we language a different way, we may actually have the opportunity to evolve, as you say. So thanks for being with us today, and I know people will want to know more about your work and this model of evolution that you have created, and so how can they reach you? So uh, there are two ways to reach me. One is through email. It's a long one, but it's Soul Purpose Coaching, S-O-U-L Purpose Coaching at pacbell.net. That's P-A-C-B-E-L-L.net. And, you know, just pick up the phone and call me, 650-712-712. 8344. I'd love to hear what your soul wants. That's great. And you can also learn more about Melanie at her website, Melanie Dewberry Jones. That's D E W B E R R Y Jones.com. And we hope to have you back again and you can give us more. And you say you don't know about enlightenment, but I think we just had a conversation about enlightenment, Melanie. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Thanks, Cheryl. All right, everybody, remember to think big because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 